Welcome to the first episode of Mountain Whispers Podcast. Conversations on the deeper lessons that we learn from the outdoors. In this episode, I speak to Johnny Amberg. Johnny is a base jumper and entrepreneur based out of Lederbrunnen in Switzerland, if I pronounce that right. And in our conversation, we get into a bunch of the topics that I started this project in, in order to explore. We talk about how we got into base jumping in the first place and how exactly base jumping differs from skydiving in terms of risk and, and an athletic pursuit in general. We speak about what flow states means to him, the rituals that, that he has to uh, bring on and, and induce flow, uh, and how essential these rituals are, considering it's a sport where often mistakes are, are deadly. We talk about his relationship with death and how he manages fear and how he uh, perceives and manages risk in his sport. And then he also shares a bunch of wild stories, including a time uh, he and a buddy broke into a high-rise building in New York City and, and threw themselves off it in the, in the middle of the night for the, the adventure. So I really enjoyed this conversation, and I, and I hope you do too. And um, before I do uh, cut to this other track, uh, heads up that the, the production's going to be uh, a, a little bit minimalist to start off with. If you're, you're looking for some sweeter acoustic transitions and, and cutouts that you hear on a, a real podcast, um, you're going to have to be a little bit patient. Right now I'm focusing on just having as many juicy intellectual conversations as I, as I can, um, but I do consider myself an audiophile, so eventually I'm hoping to either figure it out myself or find someone to clean up this audio and, and make it delightful for your ears. But work with me. In the meantime, here is Johnny Amberg. So, Johnny, thanks for for, for joining me here. Uh, we met in Bolivia in, in 2018 when I was a, a mountain bike guide there, and uh, it was your your thirst for adventure that that, that really left left an impression on me, um, and so. When I kind of started this project, uh, you were one of the first people I, I, I wanted to, to reach out to. Um, and so, yeah, really excited to, to dig into your, your background to, to base jumping and, and some of the lessons that it's taught you. Uh, but perhaps we could start with you just introducing base jumping if uh, anyone hasn't, hasn't heard of the concept or not familiar with it before. So what base jumping is, first of all, also thank you for having the interest in it. It's really cool. I'm uh, glad to be on this. Um, what base jumping is, it uh, starts off with the name base. It's an acronym, B-A-S-E, meaning building, antenna, span, and earth. So these are all the objects. You jump down with a parachute, and there's different forms. You can go in your shorts or in wingsuits, which you see more and more on movies right now. And it's pretty much the extended version from skydiving. So you start off jumping from airplanes with parachutes. And then at some point you get a bit bored of it and you start jumping from objects. <laughs> cool. And so, the, yeah, the, the getting bored of, uh, <laughs> of jumping from airplanes, we'll definitely get into that 
very shortly because it's uh there's a concept i'm exploring called like hedonic engineering and it, it definitely adds to that but um hey how did you get into that do you want to just talk a little bit more about your upbringing i know you you did a, a bunch of different sports before you got to to this got into it as a as a kid i guess i w- was a nightmare for my mom i always was quite a wild one like at hospital a lot climbing jumping skating bmx bikes and just always progressed with the next thing. Then I saw a guy called Shane McConkey on TV, falling, tumbling down, not flying it like we do today, but literally just falling down a cliff. And I was, I was fascinated. I just looked at that shot over and over again. And I knew that's it. That's what I want to do. That's where I want to go fly. Where were you? What year was it? And where were you in life? Were you in high school? We we posted. Oh, no, no, that was that was younger. That was primary school, probably. Wow. Like um, it's a fairly new sport. Um, it revolutionized in the last ten years, I would say, with the whole suits getting really uh, professional and uh, tested in wind channels, and it got really good. But it's cool that I came in pretty much a an early state of the sport. But when I saw it, I was probably. 12 years old or something like that like really just still a little kid and still uh, was a long way for me to get to it because you can't start skydiving or my parents wouldn't let me skydive at that age so i had to be very uh, patient until the day came where i could start my skydiving license and, and get into it mm-hmm. and when was that uh, as soon as i was 19 i guess i started skydiving Truly just for the sake of base jumping, I didn't have an interest in the skydiving itself at all. And as soon as I realized it's really expensive in Switzerland, I looked for a base jumping coach, found one in South Africa, then I quit my job, left everything, bought a one-way ticket and emigrated to South Africa when I was about 20, 2021, around there. Then I spent two years with uh, my mentor called Donovan, Donovan, Turned into like the best buddy brother ever, and we just hit every building and every antenna we found. Beautiful, and it's funny you can hear you can hear that South African twang amongst your your Swiss accent. Yeah, it breaks through a little and bit uh, sometimes. How um, I think about with a, with a lot of mountain sports, I think um, I I think about the concept of apprenticing a lot because it's it, the inevitably almost all mountain sports are are high risk sports. Um, and it's not like it's necessarily, uh, there's not a user manual you can read. It's very much a felt sense, a lot of practice having the right coaching, the right mentoring. Uh, how long was, uh, that coaching period or or what was your like apprenticing like, uh, in, in South Africa? Well, um, as I said, I'm really grateful I got in at that time because today you sign up for a a base course and it's just not the same. You meet up with 10 other people and you do a few jumps. There's a few great schools like Learn to Base Jump is a fantastic one done by Christopher McDougall and Sam Hardy. They do a really serious job, but there's a few other ones where you cannot look at 10 people the same like you look at one person and you cannot put the same effort and time in. So I had Donovan. He said, yes, I'll teach you, but first let's look what you got. And he put a little Coke can on the floor and a three meter uh, circle around it. 
and he said, look, you land 20 times um, consecutively in the circle. And when you got it, we go. And then I got to 16, 17, and then I screwed it up and I could start by zero again. So he really made sure that I'm up for it, that I can land a canopy because in base jumping, uh, you have sometimes really gnarly landing areas in between rocks and rivers or in cities. Once we jumped New York City and you really have to kind of nail it, there's no, there's no second option. Where in skydiving, you have a huge field, whatever. And it's a long progress, but you also don't want to push it. You really take your time. Um, there's no trying, as you said before. It's a, it's kind of a commitment. You can't try to do it. It's it's that one shot you have, and you have to do it right, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely can't can't force those things. And so, and I know it's it's very difficult to to describe the difference between an okay, a good, and and a a great jump. Um, but the, the reason I'm thinking about it is, is this is this is just my second season of skiing, and so I'm I'm very much a, a beginner, and it's it's actually really rewarding to to go through that process of of learning like a new skill, um, and and I think about a, a lot of say skiing is is this this felt uh, sense of of center of gravity and 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 your distribution of weight, and I imagine there's some degree of mechanics to that when you're in the air, so like. In terms of that 20 times in a row landing on a Coke can, uh, how would you describe the difference between that going perfect and that and you missing that by a couple of meters? Um, all to the question of a, a good jump, an okayish jump. In base, if you walk away, it was a good jump. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you get people there, they're like, oh, uh, shit jump, uh, this, this didn't happen. And that's speaking on a very high level. In the end, I think when you open your chute, you land on your feet and you walk away, no matter what the performance was, you still have to find the joy in the jump. You know, I'm kind of simple in that in that way. Um, yeah, does yeah. That, that, that make sense? I, I mean, that, that totally <laughs> is. I, in, in the sport, like, like that yeah when you walk away from it it's great i guess the the question Mm. is there's still like specifically maybe there's not not an answer to that in in terms of how would you describe the difference between someone who is a a good let's say they're training to be a base jumper someone who is is good but but not quite ready to to begin base jumping versus someone who's totally ready how would you describe the difference between those those two people the the difference i would say is not in a performance of flying or a number of amount of jumps a person has i would say it's purely in the head it's a mental state i know guys that have zero skydives and actually have a few hundred base jumps really not recommended <laughs> but they can they can do it I know guys with 10,000 skydives and they could not do base jumping, even though they have the experience and the skill, but it comes down to a mindset. Mm. Yeah. You get good flights and better flights is when you start working on your performance. Like you, if you're skiing, you want to have a bit more of a carving technique. You try to get it smoother, get more on the edge, power the ski more, uh, put more pressure onto the front. Uh, it's the same with wingsuiting for instance you know your body position if you it's all micro motions it's tiny little 
it's not like flying hectically. It's just little motions. And that comes with practice. And of course, the more you fly, the more you get into it. That makes a better pilot, that experience. But the ability to actually go into it, in my opinion, is purely mental. Yeah. Talk, talk about that a little more. Because I, I think about... Uh, uh, I think about flow states a, a lot and um, the most reliable way I, I can enter flow is, uh, is in activities that I'm, that I'm very experienced in. So mountain biking or, or something like, like trail running, it's, it's more difficult with, with skiing, but the, the main characteristic is when I'm skiing is the re- reduction in, in, in mental chatter. And I imagine it's, it's similar for a um, in base jumping. Like that, that mindset is whether or not you freak out in the air. Exactly, and you can adapt the same concept to skiing. Just have to choose a harder line. You know, there's there's guys going like sheer drops down on their skis, and if you tumble or fall there, uh, you know it's going to end bad. So the person on top on his skis, like in base jumping as well. Before you start, you have to commit. You kind of go in your zone, and that's where the flow state starts very fast. And you commit, you plan your jump, you go through it, you get to the exit point, you check your gear, and that's already when I'm in a kind of a meditational state. You know, you, you zoom in, you forget everything around you, no office job problems, no taxes no nothing no family issues whatever there could be in someone's life that issues them you just in that very moment if you're skiing base jumping or deep sea diving whatever you can't afford to put your mind somewhere else and for me that is exactly one of the most beautiful things of the sport i'm 100 percent there and only there beautiful yeah and it's in terms of the, the the research around flow states, uh, the reason that it's so common in in extreme sports is because you you have no choice but to be in the in the deep now, not thinking about if you're thinking about taxes, the the risk of something going wrong quadruples. Um, Absolutely, and we're speaking here about a sport that seconds decide. You know, if you have a I lost a friend. She couldn't find the handle of her parachute literally for a second. And that second was enough to just make an inevitable impact. So in in these sports, it's really you're there 100%. And if you wake up in the morning and all your friends are meeting at 8 o'clock to go for that jump and you're just not feeling it, hey, you don't go. Don't push it. Maybe go and film them or whatever, but you really want to be in a good zone. Hmm. Walk us through what like an, an, an ideal base jump would look like from, from the, the, the day you wake up, uh, the, the morning you wake up to, to the end of the jump. If you, if you were, what would the perfect jump look like from a flow state perspective? Well, for me, mainly the perfect the jump starts with a nice crew. Sometimes I jump alone, sometimes with friends. But for me, it's uh, the hike in nature with some good buddies like old mates uh, that you share 
the experience of nature, hiking out, going through waterfalls, getting to places where pretty much nobody ever else was before because either you're retard to go there or you got seriously lost on the mountain because there's only one way down and uh, it's not made for everyone. Um, it starts off with that hike. It gets to the point where we all gear up and we all sit down together and we really appreciate our company. Um, it's a big trust with the jumpers because sometimes you all go at the same time and you plan the jump and you go like, okay, you fly slightly rift, you pull first, you pull second, third. And you have to trust everyone on that because if they screw up the plan, uh, it might end that you have an air to air collision, for instance. So we really take the time to bond up there to relax. Everybody has this little ritual. Some have to sit down and meditate for a short moment. Some have to, is to start singing or whatever, you know, everybody has this little thing. Um, and then everybody gears up. Everybody has an eye on his friends. Like, is their parachute perfect? It's not a, I'm checking on new thing, but it's a, we all have each other's back kind of. And then we all say, yes, everything's perfect. Hey, we're good to go. And then you go to the edge and everybody has that excited little tingle. You know, it's not fear, but it's also, oh, it's hard one to explain. It's, you want to go, like you're excited to jump. And yeah, you look at each other, everyone's ready and you do the countdown like ready steady spaghetti or whatever and then off you go and it's the hardest moment is actually the one you know like the point of no return when you you can make the countdown three two one and you can still walk away but then when you say go and you start leaning forward you get to that moment where you can still walk back but at some point it's like okay this was the point of no return now you have to launch you have to push out as hard as you can and that split second is probably the most amazing one and as soon as you're over that and you're airborne, it becomes totally natural. It's like, woo, let's, let's, let's rock it away. And it becomes a beautiful sensation with no fear, no overwhelming craziness. And your brain goes on supercharge. Wow. Hey, yeah. Um... Oh, yeah. And then obviously it ends, the perfect jump ends with a, open parachute and a nice landing and we all mostly uh, hike back uh, because we always somewhere out in the mountains and we pass on a mountain restaurant or something and we sit down and have one two beers mm. that's the perfect jump for us or for me awesome it, it's funny something that, that strikes me about that experience is, uh, is how similar it is to uh, to, to, to many anything like you can draw similarities between that and anything in the the mountain sports realm um and that's part of what this project is to to explore uh essentially the magic of of mountain sports and and those those experiences to kind of draw out the draw out exactly what it is that that makes it uh major I, what what stood out to me uh was ritual and so i'm curious what your ritual looks like for a perfect jump uh, my ritual is the packing when the parachute is open on the floor and i always go to a space where i'm by myself i know nobody's going to come interrupt it's pretty much one of the most crucial parts is the is the pack job 
And for me, that is the, the ritual. Just being there with my parachute, having a bond with it, making every fold perfect, evening it out, putting the lines in. It's a, it's a little meditational process. For me, that's the ritual. Then once I'm on the mountain, I'm pretty happy to go when I'm up there and to jump. I don't really do my ritual up there. I prepare already before the jump. So I know when I leave the house to go jumping, I really committed to jump unless something like weather change comes in or whatever unseen reasons. Wow. And so um, have you... You don't, you, you don't want to commit on the exit point meaning you go for a long six hour hike and don't think about what you're up to, uh, what you're up about to going to do. And then up there, you're like, Oh no, this is not for me. That's not recommended. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I absolutely see that. And, and to my, to the point I made, I made previously about the link between these sports is um, I can empathize with the feeling of being on the edge as you, you lean in from uh dropping into like a, a a technical line mountain biking or even cliff jumping mm-hmm. um and obviously the completely different league to what base jumping is but uh i i think it's a similar like tingle and feeling you know i wouldn't even go that far and say it's uh, a different league because i see guys on mountain bikes doing stuff i'm like holy crap i mean i'd never do that these guys are out of their mind where, where I'm in base jumping, what I'm doing, bro, much safer. I mean, <laughs> like I, did 10 jumps and I mean, you can look at the, you bike. can look at the statistics. Right? I'm not, uh, you could, the statistics would probably challenge that, <laughs> but yeah, I, the, they turn out pretty good. Uh, mm. as you mentioned that the statistics changed a lot with the uh, evolution of the equipment. So base jumping, the numbers are pretty good. For an example, the valley we're in here, we have between 35,000 and 40,000 jumps that come about to five fatalities. Sounds a lot, five fatalities. But if you put it in ratio with that number in that extreme environment, it's a pretty good statistic. Actually, that's really good. I I think about, uh, so we're recording this in April. I think about the winter just gone in in lower British Columbia and... uh, the snowpack was was pretty volatile. It was honestly probably worse mortality stats backcountry skiing and snowboarding in the winter. Absolutely, there. I'm I'm certain. Yeah. Probably as a more on motorbikes, probably more in paragliding. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, probably people being hit by lightning on golf courts. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, it, but then there's probably um, the filter that you have to pass through is um is a lot more to get into base jumping and and this kind of ties into the idea of apprenticing in that i mean in in backcountry skiing there's there's that in that you 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 need to complete your ast though i guess there are people going out ahead of it and and you've you've got to be a a very competent skier before you get yourself into that situation and and i think about to be honest, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I got an, I started skiing so that I could backcountry ski. And so I probably started too soon. Um, but, I, but I, well, think if you that, feel confident, if you know you're up for it, then, you know, why not? Yeah. 
Go for it. Um, if you you get people in all sports that push themselves too fast because they they're not for up for the baby steps. I like baby steps in these environments, and yeah, they're the only thing that's going to happen is a natural selection. Huh? Yeah, I guess that's I, I guess that's true. That's you, you kind of you, if if anything, um, I wonder if the the that low mortality rate in in base jumping is purely because you you know what you signed up for whereas w- with a, a lot of other sports let's, let's just take traffic accidents it's not like you don't while those states what well, the mortality rate of that is a lot higher than, than than base jumping it's not top of mind so people aren't taking the same precaution that they are for for base jumping yeah, and you travel with 100 other cars, 150 k's an hour on the highway. It's like proximity flying with people you don't know. And you don't check your brakes every time you get in the car. You don't check your uh, air pressure in the tires. Where we, on every jump, you know, you pack the rig, you look at the lines, you look at the fabric. So it's uh, we do the full check around the car before we yeah. get on the highway. Yeah, and you, and you look at your mindset as well. It's it's funny. I think mo- most accidents, rather than vehicle failure, is is people actually just zoning out. Whereas it's that doesn't happen in base jumping because you know the consequences that that happen when you do exactly when you, when you do zone out. Totally yeah. agree. Um. So, so talking more about uh, fear and and risk of injury and, and, and death. Uh, I'm curious it, in, in your ritual where you're, you're packing that your, your parachute, does fear ever come up during that process or where does fear come up in base jumping for you? Oh, and I didn't jump for a long time and repack the chute and I kind of forget how to fold it. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, I have to call my buddy. Hey, how do you do this? And he's like, oh, where are you? And go with the camera. He's like, oh, it's like, oh, damn, of course, that's it. But it's not fair, you know. It's uh, If there's something you're not sure about, you double and triple check. Um, the fear comes in if you jump places you haven't jumped before. If there's places with unknown factors, like, you know, there's a, highway something you have to cross or bridge lines or like just very uh tricky exit points or when you the first time on an exit point and it's about the getting there which can be very scary so breaking into a building and not getting i'm not particularly good with heights so if your parachute is not on and climb uh, and hug a mountain and you just don't want to look down because you're not on ropes or anything, it's pretty much making your way up. That's when I get the, the disco leg, yeah, proper knees and oh, fuck, I'm not happy. But that's uh, a part of it. It's the feeling when you challenged it and you lost the fear, which gives you a great feeling of a great sensation. How how do you how do you quiet your mind uh, when let's say an approach is particularly tricky and and a lot of fear comes up? I know like that like in in, in mountain biking that would sometimes shake me. Mm-hmm. Good 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 question. Um, 
it's breathing has a lot to do with it. Like I had one point where I went on to it was a highway bridge, like uh, Blokrans, two hundred twenty meters high, and that was kind of cool. I was like motivated, jumped it many times, and I went up and looked down, and something was like, "Whoa, this is weird." And then the longer you stay on there, the worse it gets. But as you're starting to get weak uh, jelly legs, um, step down from the exit point, walk away a few meters, uh, ask yourself, dude, is everything okay? You want to do this? Yes, I want to do this. Did you do everything right? Yes, I did everything right. There's no reason to fail. There's no reason to think I could fail. Breathe. Go back to the exit point. Stand on it. Commit, jump. So just stepping back quickly and going through my own little process in my head, breathing calmly, and then go again. That's how I deal with it. Cool. I I remember you told me before the story about uh, about the jump in New York. Uh, do, can you can you retell that story for us? <laughs> yeah sure um it was a good friend of mine i don't want to mention his name um he owed me kind of a favor and when i flew to new york he picked me up and he was pretty much hey bro you can choose a building and i was like oh are you kidding man and he's like no you can choose a building we'll we'll hit it at night so uh i chose one i think it was 31st and 6th somewhere it was one of the highest next to the empire state so we were looking literally at the empire state on the roof and uh so you get there and you look at the the landing area at daytime you look where the power lines are you look if there's any construction sites if there's washing lines or whatever uh lamp poles just anything that could be a hazard for your landing approach then you make the jump plan you look what the winds are you park the getaway car you in new york you need a getaway car um i don't think we didn't get caught but i heard some crazy stuff and they don't seem to be very very happy with it so i mean a, a city with that many people they they probably don't want people flying around in the, <laughs> no. the it was one of the coolest feelings though to hang on a on a parachute and flying between the buildings it was absolutely insane but then um yeah, we uh, went different ways. We went in the evening around 10, 10.30 in the evening at night. And he was amazing. You know, you give him any lock, he'll just lock pick it. So we took the back entrance. We snuck in. Um, it was about two hours of walking stairs. I, I, I didn't take that in count. I was a mess when we got up there because you can't take the elevator because they'll see the elevator is in action. And it's just pretty much the security guard at the bottom. I remember sneaking past the security guard reading newspaper. It was literally like five meters away from us. I was just looking on the floor to not hit any screw or whatever could be there because he'll he'll fuck you up. So uh, we we snuck there and as naive as I was, I went straight to the elevator going like with my finger on the button and my friend's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so uh, we went uh, to the back, up the doors, and then, yeah, we started walking. Uh Got to the roof uh, somewhere after midnight, one o'clock maybe. And yeah, that was, I'll never forget that. You look down that building and the road is full of cars. It's full of taxis driving. And I'm like, dude, where are we going to land? I thought like people are, you know, 
roads are empty in Zurich at that time. There's no cars on the road. But uh, yeah, it's the city that never sleeps, right? And he's just kind of, man, you just look at the stoplight. When that turns green, then you jump. By the time you should be there, should be no cars on the junction. You land and you run to the car. And yeah, that didn't really work out that well. <laughs> so he went first. I followed him. And for him, it went perfect. He landed in the junction. No cars ran. I came in for approach. And I had to... What actually happened? Yeah, the cars were driving. And I thought, okay, I'll just fly straight to the getaway car. Like, smart me, right? So I fly around the building. And you completely have a black parachute. You have black clothes. Nobody sees you in the sky. So I see this uh, truck delivery for some grocery store coming down this one-way road. And I'm like, dude, he's, who's going to look up? Nobody. And he's right in your angle of attack. Where are you going to land? So I had to kind of sink it in on the pedestrian way. And the one side of my canopy hooked in. And that just spun me into the building. So Where did it hook into? I, uh, just on the building. The canopy's quite wide over the top. And then uh, because I tried to sink it in in the pedestrian way, uh, just the left side of the canopy hooked in something on the building, slammed me around and I crushed in. Luckily, nothing happened. I was about two, three meters off the ground hanging there. Some big dude out of a club saw it and he was amazed. He's like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. He helped me get down. We pulled the parachute off. Unfortunately, ripped my parachute in two. So that was the most expensive jump I ever had. And yeah, off to the getaway car and off we go. Went to the pub, had two, three pints, and I had a smile on my face. I couldn't get rid of for two, three days. That rush you get, that whole feeling, it just it stays in you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, uh, it's a drug for sure, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, I, is, it is a bit of a drug, I'd say. You're right, yeah. Yeah, it, Jamie Wheel, uh, he... He founded the the Flow Genome Project. He talks about flow states, and specifically, he frames it in um, in three ways: ecstasis as an ecstasy, uh, catharsis, and and communitas. And um, I think about the 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 peak states of an adrenaline rush as as an ecstasy, and and really is like when you do something that exhilarating. It really like your you're just generating a cocktail of, of hormones in yourself that is, that is similar to any drug. And uh, I, I feel like at least the, the times that I've danced with risk each time after I'm like, that was absolutely worth it. And to, and it sounds like based on that story, one, you're stacking, like sneaking into the building that like that launches it to mm-hmm. making the jump just on the own. I, I jump is. I, I, I like your comparison with that cocktail you do in your body because it's the same cocktail that you have in your body when you, for the first time, approach that girl that you fancy so much. When you get nervous while you walk over and then you try to figure out the best sentence. And then, you know, the jumping is to actually say, Hey, how are you doing? I'm Johnny. And you get all nervous. And then the reaction might be either good or bad, you know, she'd like you or she not. But you get that same sensation, all that stuff going on in your body. And yeah, just that one's a bit more extreme. But no, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a good cocktail going on. You're right. That's a, like asking a girl out. That's actually, that's very similar to taking a leap in, in the same way in terms of the, mm-hmm. 
like and you get all these the emotions and when when she says yes you also have that like that euphoria and that feeling in you that you can't get rid of and that smile and happiness you know so base jumping is like dating without yeah. tinder <laughs> It was slightly higher consequences, though. Though the uh, the paradoxes is, is often it is like the when you think about like internal resistance, often it's it's the exact same internal resistance to to asking someone out as a date as as in not jumping off a cliff with a parachute, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Um. So something I think about, even though, so even with those those stats, I uh, I remember listening to a uh, a podcast about a a base jumper who decided to retire, and it was it was the the reason for it was that uh, he he wasn't convinced that anyone could keep doing it for a long time purely because of of how good that rush is. So you you jump. You, you base jump in a safe environment. It is incredible. You do it again and again and again, and then you decide to do it in a city, and it's even more of a rush. They they, they talk about it as a hedonic treadmill, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's there's a risk of of getting it, of wanting to keep elevating those experiences. Have you found that at all? Um, yes and no. I think it's a, a question of character. So uh, some people have to just keep on pushing them themselves. My mentor, he said, I just want to have 500 jumps and then I'm done. And with jump 500, he sold all his stuff and he's good. Um, I just wanted to experience all the faces of the sport, you know, going into mountains buildings um it takes you to special places like we went to the arctic circle jumping mining towers um it wasn't specific to get harder jumps or more rushful jumps but just to see a bit more of the world in a different angle with different people it's different traveling than if you go you know an old inclusive hotel then if you go to Norway and meet up with the jumpers, you will see Norway with very different eyes. And for me, it's that. I know a few people that retired. In their heart, they'll always stay jumpers. I know a few that also came back after several years of a break. I myself had a one and a half year break because I just had something better to do. I got the chance to learn the hotel business, to run a hotel. And then I just didn't have the urge to jump anymore because I, I was occupied mentally with something challenging. But as soon as that got routine and hotel business got daily daily business, uh, the challenge was gone. The next thing I did is get my parachute and go jumping. So yeah, they might retire and they might come back in your heart and your brain, you'll always stay a base jumper. I just want to quickly circle back on on character for a second. Because I, I mean, part of the reason I started this project is because I had this in, intuitive sense that the the lessons you learn from the mountains is character building, and you and it and it takes you, um, it, and it's similar to a spiritual practice or even religious practice in some degree with the the, the mental states you you get into. Um, I'm curious if you could 
how do you feel that base jumping has affected like your growth and, and development outside of base jumping? Oh man, I owe everything to the sport. Absolutely everything. If, if I would not started off jumping, I'd probably would not be where I'm today. Um, I studied IT in the beginning. And at one point I found myself going to work in the morning, doing my IT thing, having lunch, doing my IT thing, going home, going to work in the morning, and over and over and over. And if I wouldn't have started jumping, I'm pretty sure I would have done nothing else for the last 20 years than just that. But through jumping, you meet people, opportunities come along. And I, I was, I had the privilege to just do the coolest things all over the world just through jumping. Uh, the way it shaped me and my character, I know that when I commit, I can go with it. I don't think I have a weak personality. Um, it definitely made me, it gave me the power to think, uh, think things through, make a choice on it, and then stick to that choice. And what I mean with I wouldn't be where I am today, I live in Lauterbrunnen now. It's uh, the mecca of base jumping. It's base paradise. It's a valley where you, on the left and right side, have like 800 meter, uh, like what's that, two and a half thousand foot cliffs up to 10,000 meter mountains, 10,000 feet mountains, sorry. Um, I got the chance to build up a hostel that we're in the middle of the progress now. And... I love this place. I found home. And if I wouldn't have jumped, I'd still be in that city doing that IT job that I did not have a passion for. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's something I, I notice as well is that it's often in, in high risk sports that, that one comes most alive, you know, and it's, it's, I, I'm working in a, a, uh, sure you know a lot of people job. that that not alive right it, it, they live but they they don't and it's it's difficult i i uh i started off i i studied accounting and uh did a couple of years as a as a management accountant and then and then quit and traveled and was a mountain bike guide and and i'm now working for for a tech company in a in an office job and uh it for me i i have to be spending my weekends out in the mountains mm -hmm. and and evenings uh in order to, but, to well it... I, I hope the people don't get me wrong that listen to this. I'm not saying an office job is bad. I'm just saying too many people got into it without really choosing it and then kind of got stuck over the years and just it's convenient so I won't change anything in my life and kind of that attitude. So if it's your passion, you know, you, you want to sit on the office, do the finance or uh, solve these IT issues and you want to do that eight hours a day on a computer, awesome. If that makes you happy, then it's good. But I also just see a lot of people that don't even know how they got there and then stay there till they're retired. Yeah, that's the that's the trap. And I, it, it's funny. I, I, I'm, I can, coming from starting in it, breaking out, saying I'm never going to work an office job again, to to re-entering it with a, a balance. It's it's very easy mm -hmm. to not to to not realize to get stuck into the swing of things to to make a uh to to make that that corporate money and 
and buy some awesome toys and and nice brunches and and stuff like that and uh and before you know it you you become used to that so it's uh yeah the the balance is 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 definitely something that's difficult to find but um yeah it, t- tell us more about this this hostel you're building um well i started in 2011 i had a little shack like i worked in an it job and my boss was like dude you don't belong here he was the nicest guy you know it wasn't that i was bad at my job but he kind of like you have to go and so he's like gave me this idea to just rent a little place and i did so and all my friends came over and drank all my booze and ate my food and next day i bought everything again and everybody came again and drank it i'm like uh hold on so I made a little bar out of it, got a bar license and did that for three summers. Then I got that chance to get uh, a hotel director position. It came out of the blue. I had zero qualification, but sometimes if you just open and listen to the universe, opportunities come. So I got this four-star hotel uh, job. It was huge. And they financed my whole education and then I ran hotels for 10 years. I'm not a big fan of uh, uh, three, four, five-star hotels, you know, all the kind of hotels with a tag on. Um, it's a very different clientele too. So my dream is to have a backpacker. And I have a friend from that industry that helped me out. Um, this place here, you saw it before. It's uh, in the middle of the valley. You can jump from the cliff, land in the garden. The next building is the helicopter base, so we can skydive from there. It's, it's, it's a place for adults that don't grow up. So we'll accommodate base jumpers, kayakers, paragliders, the whole, the whole thing. We have a downhill trail just around the corner. And I want to create a place here where people put the phone aside and chat with each other, where people uh, exchange with each other. Uh, sit at the bonfire in the evening and talk about their day, what they did, pass on ideas, pass on knowledge. So that's it's, it will be a place with a vibe, not just a place where you go and have a drink and go to bed. It's going to be, it's going to be a little cult, I hope, one day. Mm. Yeah, the, the world needs more of those places where you can, can get away from uh yeah from your cell phone and and uh no, and, and be surrounded just, by just mountains. uh for the people if they are interested in it it's called alpine base uh alpinebase.ch would be the web page if you come to switzerland and you're looking for something else it doesn't mean you have to yourself to be an extreme sports athlete but it's nice to get a glimpse in into their life mm. then this would be the place and it's a gorgeous backdrop based on what you just just showed me yeah we're surrounded by waterfalls um actually it's uh it's rivendell like uh lord of the rings author tolkien he came here and if you put the cover of the book on a picture from here it's 100 percent identical wow yeah. that's fascinating yeah cool i will uh i will put a a, a link to to the social media for the for the six people probably listening to this <laughs> no, maybe, thank you very much <laughs> maybe maybe more but um yeah man this has been a i, I really really enjoyed this conversation johnny yeah oh likewise i'm yeah. liking the the way you do this i hope you'll have many more 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, especially the topic going in for the whole flow state is very, it's a very, the science behind it is endless. You know, how it starts up, what you can do with it. And once you understand it, how you can work with it to, to evolve and, you know, get your version 3.0. Yeah, I, I I agree, and and it's it's something only in the last couple of years that that were, they actually have the the neuroscience to be able to back up something that people have had a felt sense for for a long time. Like we like we can both talk about what the the state of consciousness of of flow is, um, but it's yeah, it's only now that you can also write a scientific paper on exactly what it is and, and how to prime those states and, and things like that. Absolutely. And I think that was a key word you just said, consciousness. Mm. So to those six people out there, <laughs> be conscious and, and not, not in the moment you jump, but in every moment, just be there. Yeah. Otherwise we miss out a lot on life and the little things that happen around us beautiful beautiful anyway let's end it there uh, it was an absolute pleasure johnny um thank you very much yeah, i really enjoyed it too no worries hope you enjoyed that conversation apologies if the transition from that conversation to this outro is a little jarring i'm still trying to really figure out how to use the software and do this podcasting thing um if this is available online anywhere That'll happen eventually. I will send a link to the uh, hostel that Johnny is starting. Um, and if you've made it this far, I, I probably already know you. Uh, you're probably one of the six people that I've told uh, about this project. So let me know what you thought. Let me know what you thought about this. I uh, yeah, I would appreciate the feedback. <laughs>